Today, I talk with Mindegas of Fireblocks, the world leader in infrastructure for institutional digital assets. We talk about how Fireblocks works to safeguard your assets without the risk of getting hacked, and also about the future of the blockchain space. Enjoy the episode. Hi, welcome to another episode of Kestoshi. And today we have Mindegaus of Fireblocks. Did I say that right? Hi, Isabel. Yeah, you almost got that right. It's Mindaugas, but um, no offense taken. <laughs> okay, okay. Mindaugas. Okay, I've got it. Okay, could you tell us, uh, in your own words, what does Fireblocks do for people who've never heard of it? Sure, sure. So Fireblocks is basically an easy-to-use platform that helps builders to create innovative products on the blockchain and to support any business, um, whether it's a financial institution or an NFT platform in the management of their day-to-day -day crypto operations. Okay, so and, when, when you say day-to-day -day business or NFT platform, could you give me an example? Is there anyone? Yes, sure, absolutely. So basically the idea behind Fireblocks platform is that it enables any sort of business that touches crypto or the blockchain or let's let's call it digital assets because it's mm -hmm. a it's a wider and wider encompassing term to um, successfully run their operations in mm -hmm. a secure and uh, operationally efficient way so to give you an example let's say for let's say you are a, a crypto hedge fund right so, and you need infrastructure that allows you to uh, hold your digital assets securely to be able to manage them safely, uh, to be able to transfer them, um, basically to uh, allow your business to your business operations to be streamlined and to scale uh, while doing everything in in a safe um, and secure manner. Mm. Same could be same could be applied for an NFT platform. So, for example, you're an NFT issuer. Um, you're issuing. Uh, uh, NFTs as part of your business, and you also need to have a place to safely uh, keep those NFTs, to safely custody them. And this is where Fireblocks come into the picture because we uh, we allow you to, uh, to 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 achieve just that. So, how is this done in the old days? Because I do remember several years ago um, speaking with some guys who had their crypto custody business, and they were literally going from town to town with passwords and hardware ledgers. <laughs> Has things changed <laughs> since those days? Yes, so 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 the things have changed quite a lot. Um, this is not to say that those sort of businesses uh, don't exist anymore. I'm still sure that there's uh, plenty of, of, of crypto that is um, you know stored in in actual physical walls somewhere in, in, in the Swiss mountains. And, and I guess we should probably take a, a small step back here and define what it actually means by securing your crypto. Because as, 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 as you and me know, um, all of the digital assets, they actually live on the blockchain. So you're not really taking them and, and putting them somewhere in a ledger, in a wallet, in a vault. They're always on the blockchain. Well, it's not However, like gold. The, it's not like gold, you're saying, <laughs> where you're no, physically taking your Bitcoin not. and lifting it. 
No, I've seen uh, everybody knows where the Bitcoin is. You know, you can you can go on the internet, you can open up uh, the Bitcoin uh, the Bitcoin Block Explorer, and you can you know you can exact you can put in a, a wallet address. Now, I, I believe in, even Google allows that. If you put in an Ethereum uh, deposit address, you can uh, you can into the search bar, you can straight away see which block it belongs to. Um, so everything's on the blockchain. However, the thing that you need to keep safe is your private key, which acts uh, essentially as a password to that part of, 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 of the digital asset that you actually own. So this is what you need to secure. So going back to your question, um, in the old days, um, it was done in a, a little bit more of, of a crude way, right? People would say that the most secure way would be to have a, an actual offline wallet that is um, not connected to the internet. Sometimes people would just use a piece of paper on which they would write down their private key and then store it in a, you know, in a safety deposit box or you know, keep it under the mattress. But you know, obviously we see the risks um, related to that. You can lose it, somebody can steal it from you. Um, you know, it, if it's a piece of paper, it can get wet and, and you know, disintegrate. Um, same for um, same for for these hardware devices that are um, you know like USB sticks for example that store your private key. Um, again, they can malfunction. You can lose them. And also, there's there's a lot of risk um, related to one particular person that's responsible for keeping it safe for you. So things have evolved quite a lot from there. Um, the whole uh, wallet infrastructure um, has improved, uh, become safer. Uh, additional security measures have been uh, invented and created. And what we do at Fireblocks, we have our patented multi-layer security system, which basically uses several things uh, to secure uh, our customers' digital assets. So one layer is the actual encryption of that private key that we, we talked about to make sure that nobody from the outside um, has an opportunity to hack it. Then secondly, uh, there is a, a, what we call a transaction authorization policy. So for companies that transact in digital assets, there is a policy, which is like an off-chain um, security governance layer that basically protects uh, the customers, not only from external threats, but from inside threats and human error as well. It dictates every transaction that you can do with your digital assets and uh, protects you from from any errors that you can do or any malicious inside actors ah okay so, so this is only for businesses and not for individuals is that correct um at fireblocks correct we deal with institutions okay and why would an institution do this themselves uh because it's very expensive to build and also not just expensive it it, it requires tremendous resources um, a lot of um, a lot of developer talent. You know, it, it took many years to to build these systems and and to improve them. So it is it it is it is expensive and very um, very resource intensive as well. Wow. Oh, okay, and, that makes and, sense. And, yeah. and another thing, and another thing also is you know you you have to uh, if you really want to use the safest um the safest system system sorry it has to be battle tested so if you create something from scratch um and you know as a as a technical person yourself i'm, I'm sure you appreciate how how easy it is to um accidentally leave some errors in the code and then you only 
find out about them later. And when it comes to security, you can't really allow yourself to have any errors there mm. because then once it's discovered, it can be too late. And we can see that from pretty much every day on the news when we hear about all these different hacks that are happening mm. on um, you know, various um, digital assets, whether they're exchanges or protocols mm. and et cetera. And a lot of them have something to do with with the error in you know, either in the smart contract or at the, at the protocol level. So the safest way is to have a battle-tested system and it requires time, effort, um, you know, mm. trial and error to, to build something like that. So it's a very risky endeavor for an institution that controls mm. uh, huge sums of digital assets mm. to start doing it from scratch themselves. Okay, I'd like to come back to this part a bit later. But um, I think I really do understand what you're doing now. I think that's a good explanation. Now, could you tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got to this point with um, with Fiveblocks and, and, and how you got into crypto? Sure, sure, absolutely. So I started my career um, in a completely different industry. Well, I guess it won't be different to many people that work in crypto because uh, quite a lot of uh, quite a lot of people working in in our industry currently they come from banking or finance and this is where I happen to come from as well. So I actually started my career in a traditional financial data company, where I worked for a couple of years and afterwards I moved uh, into a broker. Uh, I was on a fixed income trading desk and after a few years there I moved into an investment bank where I was basically doing the same role. Mm. I was on, on, on the fixed income sales and trading desk. And whilst working there, I was always, um, you know, I was always amused uh, how the technology that was being used in, in, in banks and brokerages was actually not keeping up the pace with, with, with the technological development that we were seeing outside of the banking industry with everything uh, moving really fast with, with, with new products uh, being developed all the time banks and traditional finance institutions always seem to be a little bit behind that and i oh, was so always did, so did you actively did people really feel it like could you see crypto and and uh, what was it called fintech was there a bit of jealousy when you were working in a big institution i guess it depends uh, on on who you ask for uh, for people on the trading floor uh, you, you know you could definitely you know you could definitely see that the industry was changing and i'm not talking mm -hmm. about crypto specifically at this point um, i'm more referring to how the general trading systems were developing everything was becoming a lot more electronic so you know you would go from the old way of doing business where you know you'd pick up the phone you'd call your client you'd mm. agree on a trade and then you would imp once the trade was done you would input that into in into mm. the system whether a bloomberg terminal or, or some mm. other system all of that was becoming less and less personal so let's say less and less time on the phone and more time on the actual chat room on on mm. on, on, on on the bloomberg terminal mm. and and even that was um slowly dying out and moving fully electronic where clients would just submit a request to multiple dealers they would automatically get some quotes back and basically you you wouldn't even need a a person in the middle uh, to facilitate that trade as as you did you know um several year, years back so that's one part of things and another side of, uh, of the whole process in traditional finance was to do with settlements. So the whole settlement system is also something that's, uh, you know, 
a little bit aged, uh, a little bit uh, antique, if you, you know, if you can call it that way. Uh, multiple people, multiple counterparties have to be involved. Settlement times aren't immediate, as you know. Mm. Errors can be made, trades have to be unwinded, etc., etc. So seeing all of that and having a general interest in technology, um, I also, you know, happened to stumble uh, upon crypto. Um, I wasn't, I, you know, I cannot claim that I was one of the uh, early people in the game. I wish that I was, but uh, what, what, what year did you get it? What, what year was it? So, so I have to say the first time I heard about crypto and I probably heard about it before, but the first time I, it probably caught my attention was probably around um, 2015 or 2016. Mm. But I have to admit at that time, I dismissed it. Mm. Probably like many people, especially mm. the ones uh, working in traditional finance, I simply couldn't understand it. And I didn't feel that I need to put in any time in trying to understand it. I was just thinking that, um, you know, we have this um, so-called um, digital currency, mm. um, you know, what's the point of it? Um, uh, you know, wasn't really sure about it. So I forgot, uh, forgot about it for a couple more years. And then uh, when the pandemic hit and we all were spending uh, quite a bit of time at home and all of a sudden found ourselves with extra free time, I properly started getting into it and going down the rabbit hole. Mm. And that's when it became really, really interesting to me. Oh, wow. So so you slowly got hooked into it. And and then and then what attracted you to them? From there, from learning at home, how did you end up at Five Blocks? Sure. So um, what what really attracted to me wasn't even the speculative nature of digital assets. It wasn't, yeah. um, you know, the idea that, oh, you know, you can buy Bitcoin or Ethereum and, and mm. perhaps it will go up and, you know, you'll become very wealthy. All mm. of that is very interesting, of course. Mm. But for me, as I was going deeper down the rabbit hole, it was actually the blockchain technology. And the things that it can enable you to do, mm. which is essentially um, a blockchain technology is essentially allowing us to, you know, take a, a it's, it's, a, it's, how do you put this? It's a technologically empowered consensus mechanism mm. that we can recreate in, 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 in the, on, on the blockchain and make it permissionless so we can uh, we can reach consensus with people that we don't know that we've never saw without ever needing to trust those people mm. and everybody can participate mm. nobody has to give you permission nobody has to grant you access everybody can can participate in the consensus mechanism and it can be applied to basically all sorts of processes from voting um governance mechanisms you know, uh, the way how we create and share art, I'm referring to NFTs now. And, you know, all of these things, that's what made me really, really interested in it. Yeah. And then at some point um, in late, um, in late 2021, uh, the opportunity presented itself for me to apply for a job at Fireblocks. Yeah. And even though I haven't worked in the industry before, because I already had some knowledge and some understanding about what this whole business was about, I was really, really interested and I jumped on the opportunity and ended up uh, working in Fireblocks. Well, I think you picked a good company for sure. <laughs> um, okay, so could you tell us a little bit about 
I mean, we know what Fireblocks does. Could you tell us what the status is like, how big the market is and how they're doing and what sort of things are happening at the moment? Sure, sure. So um, how big the market is, we can, you know, we can start from that. So obviously, um, you know, the crypto, you know, the crypto market as a whole, it came down from, I believe, what was it around 3 trillion? Now it's uh, closer, closer to one. So obviously, you know, we're not in the best times for crypto, if we think about it in a traditional sense. Uh, and by saying traditional sense, I'm referring to looking at the charts and seeing where the asset prices are. So looking at that, we might think that, okay, the market has shrunk. However, if we look at it in the broader sense, the market is booming. It is huge. I know it might be um, an unusual thing to say, and it's my opinion, but there's so many use cases out there that are being actively being built, actively being created, imagined, thought out, and, and put into practice that we might not even hear about every day. But we at Fireblocks, uh, we constantly speak to the builders and, and we're constantly exposed to all of these new use cases that, you know, that, that are being built right now and that are going to um, you know, appear in, 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 in the general, you know, in the general media, people are gonna find out about them uh, very shortly. So, you know, things, and, and some things are already in existence. For example, if we think of use cases like payments, right? So this is something that has been, you know, has been booming, has been really growing uh, as of late. And, you know, that involves using um, a stable coin, for example, to facilitate cross-border payments that are quicker, that are cheaper than have done the traditional way that are forever recorded on the blockchain so you can always verify where they're coming from where they're going and this uh, this use case doesn't really care where the you know where the crypto um, digital asset prices are at the moment can i pause you a bit there could i pause you a bit there um like talking about stable coins could you explain why would like I've tried to explain stable coins to people and people always say, yeah, but I can just use the bank. Could you explain in your own words why you think anyone should even care about stable coins? Sure, sure. As a business, absolutely. as a business. Sure, sure, absolutely. So um, first thing, you know, I'll, I'll pick up on what you said when you said you can just use a bank. So it's not so easy to just go and use a bank you first need to have a bank account or a certain agreement with a bank. And that is provided that the bank agrees to enter into business with you, first of all. Whereas if you're using a stable coin, this is permissionless. You don't need to have anybody's permission. You don't need to sign a contract with anybody to be able to participate, uh, you know, participate on the blockchain. So that's, you know, that's one of the reasons it makes the whole, um, the whole financial, the whole payment system a lot more open to a wider variety of participants. So it's like instant and, banking, instant banking, you're saying you get a bank account like that. In a way, well, it, it's not, it's not, you know, it's not, it's not exactly um, a bank account. So, you know, an equivalent of a bank account mm. on a blockchain would be mm. a wallet, right? Yes. And yes, yes, you can you can more or less 
instantly um, create yourself a wallet. Whether you know whether you're using Fireblocks or you're you know you're a retail user like you and me, and we're using mm -hmm. a retail grade wallet, you know we can create it very quickly and easily. And right after we've done that, we can already receive a stable coin in, in, in into our wallet, and we can send a stable coin. Uh, to somebody else. So, for example, if you know I was to pay you for a certain service, mm. and I was living in, uh, let's say, um, in, in in Asia, and you yourself were living in the United States, and I wanted to make sure that I can pay you, or, or in that case, probably you would want to make sure that the payment mm. reaches you as quickly as possible without any any obstacles, and also the fees that. Uh, you and me paying are as low as, as 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 they can be. So this is where we'd want to use something like stablecoin because instead of waiting days for a wire transfer to happen, where a, a payment bounces from my local bank to some other bank, then to some other bank, and it's you know it's getting closer and closer to you, but the process can take days. And everybody mm. who's a middleman, they take their um, a little cut of, of fees along the way. So we end up paying quite a bit. And if we do these transactions, now I'm bringing this back together um, uh, to, to a business perspective, because you asked me, you know, how a business would, would mm. see this. Um, you're, you're not just doing one uh, one-off payment. You're, doing, uh, you're constantly doing them uh, as part of your day-to-day -day business. And these costs, these fees, they rack up. And over the years, you know, you're just paying a ridiculous amount of money as costs just to make these tr transfers happen. Whereas, all yeah, I mean, I heard about you through uh, Damix of uh, Gibraltar because, of course, that's where we met at the uh, Gibraltar um, crypto conference. Um, uh, can I go to a security question there? If sure. you're if you're providing the infrastructure, um. What is to stop you from running off with the funds that you hold for someone else? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a very good question. So, and actually, actually, it is an important question because obviously, you know, you should you should have those concerns about any provider. If you're, you know, a potential business that's starting out or already active in in digital asset space, and you're choosing a provider who you're planning to work with, you should absolutely ask that question every single time. And our, um, our answer to that is that we've built our system in a way that it's technologically impossible for us to run away with our customers' assets. We've heard the, the saying, not, not your keys, not your crypto. Your keys, well, well, yeah, because it's all these exchange hacks. That's how a lot of people, including myself, have lost crypto. Oh, sorry to hear that, by the way. Yeah, well, it's, it's actually, in and it's probably a good thing because it means that uh, it's forced the security to get better. In Fireblocks, you have what is called a direct custody model. So that means that the customer is in control of the private keys, not us as a company. Ah, so what we do as good. a platform... So you can't yes. steal our money even if, we wanted, we, even if you wanted to. Exactly, exactly. Okay. We cannot, we don't have access to that. Good. So the, 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 first, the, the, the first layer of the multi-layer security system that I was describing earlier, and by the way, the reason to have a multi-layer security system is to eliminate a single point of compromise. So mm -hmm. even if somebody manages to find a crack in your system, 
and they somehow take advantage of that. There are other, several other layers that prevent them from running away with the assets. And that not only applies to you know, outside hackers, but mm. also to a potential employee collusion as you know, as the scenario that you're describing now. Mm. So first of all, uh, we're not in control of the private key. We help secure the private key using the, what's called MPC CMP um, encryption mechanism. And it's a mouthful. MPC stands for multi-party computation. Mm. Basically what it does in a nutshell, it creates an off-chain derivation of the, the private key mm. and it creates three um, key shares of the mm. private key. And to sign any transaction, to be able to move any of the assets, all of the three key shares, they need to agree. Um, so, you know, they're solving a, a puzzle and, mm. and they all have keys to the puzzle, but they don't have the full information of each other. So even if, let's say, somebody managed to steal one of the key shares, they wouldn't be able to rec recreate the, the full private key. But the idea is that customer always has one key share with themselves. We have no access to that key share. And mm. every transaction requires three out of three um, uh, key shares to sign it. So we wouldn't be able to do anything. Oh, I see. Okay. And does the customer have all of the key shares or do you hold one of them? No, no. Customer has one key share and we mm. host two key shares ourselves. This is for mm. security reasons. Again, mm. if somebody manages to, um, mm. you know, if, if the customer's um, device gets compromised or somebody manages to get access remotely mm. to the key share or anything like that happens mm. because they are, uh, they are distributed and all three need to sh sign on the transaction and they're also geographically distributed. Mm. So it is close to impossible to, uh, to, to compromise this mechanism. Oh, I see. So the customer, their responsibility is they have to not lose their key, <laughs> I guess. That is correct, but also there's um, there's measures in place to help um, you know rescue um, <laughs> the customer if 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 that happens if they lose their key share then mm. they have the ability uh, to uh, disable that key share and reassign it to another person um, in the organization. Oh, okay. So there is a backup plan if they, if they yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Key share okay, rotation. Yeah, there's the soft recovery. There's also the hard recovery. So uh, let's say it, this is also quite a a, a good example of mm. why um, you know direct custody is really the, the the most safe way to secure your digital assets because even if you trust an institution who's a custodian, a sub custodian, even if they have no malicious intent whatsoever, what happens if they go out of business? all of a sudden they become insolvent. And mm. then you can't, you know, you request them to, to get your assets back, but they're unable to pay you out. Not mm. of, you know, of, of, of any, um, you know, bad or criminal intent, but simply because they went under. Now with direct custody model, mm. if we go out of business, let's say, God forbid, mm. then there is also the, the hard key recovery procedure in place mm. that allows the customer to recover their private key and access their assets and move them out of, of the Fireblocks vaults and into um, into somewhere else. So this is like, in the worst case, doomsday scenario. One, I was going to, I, I was going to ask if you tokenize things like houses, but before I get there, like you said that you're doing a lot of stuff with Web3. So um, 
I, I realize that a lot of your customers are finance companies at the moment, but there's a growing number of use cases in crypto which are nothing to do with, which are not financial at the core, but they use crypto. Yes. Are you also serving those sort of markets? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So it doesn't have to be um, financial, uh, financial or, or finance related at all. So, for example, you know, as as we we spoke at the uh, at the beginning of this podcast, you can apply blockchain technology for uh, almost like an unlimited an unlimited number of 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 use cases. So it could be that um, there is, um, let's say, a governance um, a governance example, a decentralized autonomous organization. Uh, a DAO who, um, you know, they issue as part of, of how they operate, they issue governance tokens. So those governance tokens that are distributed to the members of the decentralized autonomous organization. And whenever the organization has to uh, vote on, on any decision uh, on, on, on the future, uh, or on the business product or, or on a future course of, uh, of, 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 the, of the whole organization, they, uh, their voting rights are represented by the tokens. However, uh, the fact that they have the tokens means that they need to have a place to securely store those tokens. They need to have a system to manage those tokens. For example, if, um, uh, if, if, if just keeping like keeping to the example of governance, mm. if more members join the organization and they also need to uh, receive new tokens, then uh, the, then the organization they'll have to mint or in other words, issue additional tokens. So they'll need to have a system that will allow them to do that. Similar way, if they need to reduce the supply, they'll need to do what's called burning a token. What sort of things are you seeing that people want to tokenize that people wouldn't oh, expect good. on the blockchain? Sure, 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 absolutely. So so houses is a good example. Um, I think it was recently, maybe in the last couple of weeks when it was on the news that um, somebody... Um, somebody was selling um, a house um, on, I think, on OpenSea or one of the one of the N N NFT exchanges um, in, in in the form of, of an NFT. So you know that's just uh, that's just one example. But you can you can you can essentially tokenize anything. So anything that um, is a contract or is an asset, anything that has any value attached to it, and anything that you you know is is exchangeable so any instrument that you can use as an exchange of value you can also replicate it onto the blockchain so for example you know um we've seen uh we've seen big traditional asset managers tokenize their funds their usage funds and put that on the blockchain and people would ask you know why you know why do you need to do that and, and and you know the answer um, the answer comes back to to the principles of, of of blockchain and digital assets. It makes everything more open, so you can open up uh, your market to more participants, to more investors. You can fractionalize the investment. So, for example, um, another real world asset. Um, there are companies that tokenize luxury items. For example, somebody um, you know that somebody has a very expensive watch or a very expensive vintage car, and they want to create a fund. 
multiple investors that can invest into those assets, but maybe not everybody has, you know, tens or hundreds of thousands to, you know, to deploy and, and mm. buy one asset as an investment, mm. but they can get with blockchain, they can get exposure to that by investing smaller amounts, because when you tokenize something, you can then fractionalize that token mm. into smaller parts and distribute it to, um, to, to more investors that have less capital uh, to spare. But because of that, they still can get exposure to, 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 that, um, you know, to that, that asset class. But I guess if you're tokenizing things in the real world, then you also need to uh, have measures in place. For example, what happens if, well, I guess it's harder to hack the NFT holder if they're doing it through your platform. But what happens if the car in the real world gets stolen? How do you, I mean, you have to handle, you know, real life meeting digital. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think this is a, this is a big challenge that is in the process of, you know, of, 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 of being solved, but absolutely there's, there's so many aspects that, that, that come into play. It's definitely not, not an easy operation. It's not just, mm. uh, you know, the, 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 the actual tokenization is the easy bit. It's easy mm. to create a token and assign it to a specific asset, mm. but you know, you're absolutely right. Uh, you have to think about how to protect that asset, how to maintain that asset mm. in, um, in, in, in the real world. But you could also say that this can be applied to any, any other security, any other um, contract. So, uh, you know, for example, if you're, um, you know, if you're, if you buy a house as an investment and you don't do it on the blockchain, you just do it in a, mm. in a traditional way. So, you know, you've got your contract, you have your deed, um, everything has been done. You still need to maintain the house. You still need to mm. insure the house. You still need to mm. uh, make sure that you know it doesn't break down, that uh, squatters do not move into your house, and <laughs> and all of mm. those other things that you need to consider. So, so tokenization essentially is just a way to take the the traditional contracts that 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 that, that we used to have mm. and make them you know more efficient, uh, more open. Uh, more permissionless and uh, basically Im improve the whole process that's uh, that has to do with with investing in those assets but that doesn't mean that you have to stop thinking about the actual real world considerations because mm. it's a real world asset you mm. have to have real world considerations for it my personal opinion it's really difficult to say where the industry is going to be in five or you know let alone 10 years because everything is moving at, and changing at such breakneck speed that I think that the use cases we're seeing now and the use cases that we're even thinking about are not necessarily going to be the use cases in five or 10 years. So the scenario that you're describing, it is, it, it, it is, definitely, it is definitely something that you know, could be an option from, you know, the universe of all scenarios that could happen. I would not dismiss any scenario. And mm -hmm. I think it is, it is up to us, uh, you know, people that, that are working in the industry, people that are building the tools of the industry and, and you know, people like yourselves that, you know, has this podcast that is there to educate others. It is up to us to make sure that 
we 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 always push it to the right direction because what you're describing sounds a little bit like a dystopian um you know like a dystopian world and if we you know if 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 this is let if, if you let this go same as everything it, to me to me crypto and blockchain it's not a product it's a tool it's a toolkit you know, mm. we've discovered this this new toolkit um, after you know Satoshi wrote his um, his white paper. We discovered this new toolkit, and since then, it's basically it's been a thought experiment of what we can do with it. You know, can we create um, can we create can can we cre create value out of it? Can we create a means of exchange, a store of value? Uh, mm. What's being done with Bitcoin? Well, it's debatable. You know, is Bitcoin a good store of value with the volatility that it experiences? Maybe it's more as an investment, you know, but this, you know, this const this always constantly develops similar to, um, let's say, um, IDs. Sure, we can put IDs on the blockchain. Yeah. And, you know, is this is this going to hold? Is this going to be a good idea? Well, you know, it's it's up to us to try and 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 make it that way that it, it that once the final product is created is for the benefit of everybody so so do you think so do you think crypto will just be used everywhere and it'll be in the background and even in and so everything people do like get a coffee scan a reward card do this it will all just have crypto in the back end i think that society and businesses are very good at taking what, whatever is being thrown at them mm. and removing only only keeping the stuff that actually makes life a little bit easier which can be <laughs> you know it, it is debatable if you think about social media and, and and the ways that it you know it it, it captures our attention and, and shows us advertisements mm. but I, th I think we're quite good choosing choosing to stay with products and and and, and choosing to adopt products that, that that actually you know makes things more smooth uh makes makes things easier our day-to-day -day lives easier so if it's going to become easier to pay for coffees using crypto then yes i think that that's going to be the future so far fireblocks is a very global organization we have offices um all over the world so we're, we're you know you can you can find us wherever you are so you can go on our website which is www.fireblocks.com uh, you can also find us on linkedin you can reach out to me directly send me a message i'd love to talk to you and and tell you more about the products and the solutions that we have and uh yeah that's uh that would be the that would be the best way Okay, great. So, all right. Thanks a lot for your time today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, was happy to be here. It was nice talking to you, Zubair. Thanks. Mm -hmm.